We're continuing on. We are now in chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the angels, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, the churches, has this to say. Okay. As we saw, all seven churches were in what today is Western Turkey under the Roman Empire and the times of Jesus and the apostles. It was called Asia Minor, and that's how they understood this area. Because we are here interested in what we can learn as how to please God or do things not to please Christ, we will not spend time on the physical aspects and information as to the locations and the various things about history in this time. There's much to learn in these matters that you can look and study historical and scholarly, and there's writings on all of this. But we and I still hold to the principle that all scripture is to promote godliness and instruction in righteousness and how to live before Christ. This is sound teaching, that which affects the spirit of the Christian that can have lasting and eternal value. All else can be wasted, elaborations and information that only in itself produces wood, hay, and stubble. The Corinthians got involved with this, some of the intellectuals. And what they did, Paul considered wood, hay, and stubble. They wanted to know a lot of information so they could be proud about it. Well, that's a vast majority of those who claim to be spiritual scholars. They just don't have no spiritual life in them. The majority of them come out of dead seminaries, as someone said, cemeteries, spiritually true, and they want knowledge for knowledge's sake. They're the ones who Paul met the philosophers on Mars Hill, and the only place he didn't go back and build a church. He wasn't going to argue and debate with this type. He said, I'm determined to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. I'm not going to get into philosophies and all kinds of stuff that produce no spiritual insight. So those who study the law, and remember Paul warned the Christians too, and Galatians and others, not to involve yourself with much of these rules and regulations concerning the laws and this and that. They have no spiritual value. He was only interested in that which produced spiritual results. So knowledge of God's word produces nothing if there's no spiritual application. For even the true Christian, it becomes wood, hay, and stubble. It has no value. It means when God tested, it's burnt up. What he's interested in is the gold, the silver, and the precious stones. For when they are tried by fire, they glow. They're not destroyed. Okay? And so that's what he's after. So all teaching does not lead to godly living is useless. And therefore, I don't spend much time talking about who the ninth king of Judah was and the fourth king of Israel. You can find that out yourself. I'm not going to waste my time with it. If you want to study that, fine. But make sure your spiritual state is where it's supposed to be. Otherwise, you're going to get nothing, and that information is not going to help you spiritually. 
See, whatever we use, it must be applied spiritually or it's useless to us. So the Corinthians, some of the intellectual ones, they were puffed up in knowledge, but they were lacking in love. They were superior, they thought, in knowing the law and other things, yet they did not rightly discern the poor Christian and didn't want to share their love feast with them. And God struck many of them with diseases that killed them. That was his attitude toward it. It's the only time we find in all the epistles that God did this. And Paul warned them and said, this is why he did it. He said, for you did not distinguish the body of Christ. You thought because you had money, you thought because you were intellectual, you didn't have to pay any attention to the poor Christian, 20-some percent, who were slaves. And, and when they gathered together for worship, you told them to go over in the corner with their own kind. We like to be with those who have money and wealth and influence, where you can see why God killed them. He put them in a position that they had to repent lest they be damned with the world. And if they did not repent, they would be damned with the world. His purpose was to afflict them, as Hebrews says, that you would be partakers of holiness because they weren't partaking of that. He said, for without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. So if God turns a person over to affliction and it does not work repentance, the end of that a person, Christian, anyone, is going to be like a fire. He has to get results. Or again, the father cuts the branch off, doesn't mess with it anymore. So we want knowledge that has spiritual value. See, that's why Paul prayed even in the church of to the Ephesus and to the Ephesians. He prayed that God may give you the spirit of wisdom that is not acquired by studying the Bible alone. Studying the Bible can give you information. Knowledge is fine. But until you have spiritual wisdom, it's useless. See, and that's what Paul considered about these Corinthians. That all of your knowledge, it's producing pride in you. So it's damaging. It's not, it has no good spiritual value. It's putting you in a position for God to judge you, not to encourage you. So that's what he's wanting about. And we need to heed to this. So I don't spend time debating which what I call head knowledge people. I let them believe what they want to believe. Even sinners. I learned years ago, don't argue over certain things when you know that they don't want the truth and they just want to bait you in debate. So I've had the worldly come to me and I know what they're doing and I'll let I smile. Well, where did Cain get his wife from? See, I know what they're doing. The scripture doesn't speak of it. Common sense says it was one of his sisters or nieces or something. But you know how I answer these people. I like to see the look on their face. I said, oh, I think Cain got his wife from a cabbage patch. See, you answer a fool according to his folly. We're not required to give wisdom or the things, the food of the children unto the dogs. And we don't have to answer them. See, people think they're required. No, we're not. Jesus said, leave them alone. Let them fall into the pit. He has some hard words. The Christian is not to waste time with these kind of people. And those who are to be reproved that are falling into heresies that 
were once Christian, and Paul said you warned them two or three times, and then you have nothing to do with them. You put them out of your fellowship. You don't socialize with them. You don't waste time with them. The Holy Spirit does not hound people for 30 years. That's a doctrine of demons. Doesn't happen. Proverbs teaches us. He hardens these people. As I've said many times, God is only recorded as laughing five times roughly in Scripture. And three of those times, he's mocking those who mock his word. And he says, and I will mock you in your day of terror. When people drop dead and think they've mocked the things of God, they're going to see what God's mockery is when he turns his back, casts them into the lake of fire, and they're tormented forever, and he'll never give them another thought. See, that's the wrath of God. That's who they're going to answer to. So the Christian should not waste his time. You answer people who are ignorant and who are interested in an answer. If you already know them and who they are and what they've done, you don't have to waste time with them. If you know other Christians have dealt with them, don't bother going through it. You're not going to give them anything else. And God most likely has hardened them further. So see, that's what we understand about wisdom. Wisdom is the proper use of knowledge. The Corinthians were getting knowledge. They had no wisdom because the Holy Spirit wasn't giving it to them. Why? Because they were mistreating fellow weak, poor Christians, whom the Apostle Paul makes clear. It's the poor that are rich in faith. You see, you got to be careful here. Even today, I don't pay much heed to people with titles or what their job was, or who they were, or how much they got, because in most cases, they're on their way to hell. I haven't seen humility in them. They measure themselves by world standards. They even go into the so-called churches, and they play the same worldly game. Who do they appoint to be a treasurer? Oh, a person who's got lots of money. He's probably the one that shouldn't be the treasurer, because he probably got his money in a corrupt manner. See, we need to say it's spiritual things that God's after. So he said, they, but they're rich in faith. The gospel in general, Jesus said, is for the poor. It was not specially singled out for the rich. The rich can receive it, but it's going to cost them a little more. The rich and the wise. And that's why the Apostle Paul said, look at your Christian calling. Not many noble and wise and rich are called. For God have chosen the foolish, the simple. The ordinary, see? Because they know where their dependency comes from. They're the meek. The meek are not weak. The meek are dependent on the Lord. The rich depend on their money. The rich and famous and those who are intellectual, they're appealing to a world. And that's why most of the false Christians are on their way to hell. And they use the church to rob God of his glory it's called the pride of life. See? So I don't waste much time with these people. Even Paul said, don't mingle much with them. He said, condescend to the lowly. Paul encouraged Christians not to spend too much time with rich and powerful and noble, even if they're Christians. Because the Lord has to bring them down. He has to show them they have no special standing. He does not care what your education is. If you're not following him, you're a bumpkin on your way to hell. See, that's why he doesn't save many of them. He doesn't mess with them. Moses is one that he did. Paul was one that he did. But look at the price they paid.
he didn't alter the gospel to suit these people. And so we need to understand that God's kingdom is a little different than the kingdoms of the world. Okay? Thus it's sound teaching that affects the spirit of the Christian that is the only thing that has lasting eternal value. All else is useless. It's wood, hay, stubble. It means it can be burnt by the fire and has no value spiritually. So the one that holds the seven angels and the one who walks among the churches, the mediator, the son of man, does this now as the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. Remember Jesus told his disciples, I am with you, but I shall be in you. See, he was limited as the son of man to his body, to his mind. But he says, but I shall be in you. How shall he? As the Godhead, one with the Father. When his glory is restored, he can do and does do what the Father does. See, he's one with them. So he indwells the believer, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of the Father, the Holy Spirit. So the three, as Jesus said, where two or three gathered together in my name, what? The name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. I am with you. I am in your midst. Okay? Bodily, in his humanity, he's standing as high priest in heaven. But he's not confined to this. As the Godhead, as the Word of God, he's one with the Father and the Holy Ghost. Okay? But he's the head. He's the chief authority in the body of Christ, true Christians, in the ministries, the gifts, and the services. So if Christ is not the head, it means that there is not practical obedience to him. If he's not Lord and Master, and the Holy Spirit is not leading those, then you have a false church. So the Son of God speaks and says these things. He's going to start giving the information to do what he wants them to do, to reprove them, to encourage them, to warn them, each one of the church areas. Verse 2 of chapter 2, I know your deeds, words, actions is what this means. I know your toil and your perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who called themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false. You found them to be liars. So he's commending them for doing this. Your works and your actions, your toil and your labor for my kingdom and for me. So he says, I know this perseverance. Faith without works is dead. See, you're proving your loyalty by your actions, not by your mere words. Your labor in the Lord, remember the scripture says, is not in vain. Okay. There must be labor. There must be work. We are servants, bond servants of the Lord. We're not on a free trip. We're given grace and privileges, but then we have to give accountability to them. See? It's not, as the false teacher says, just a simple prayer, and we don't have to ever worry about anything. Those people will be worried a lot when they're in hell. So he's saying what? You are steadfast and you endure the attacks of the flesh, of the world, and the devil to do 
my will. So he's talking about the ministry now. You cannot put up, he said, with, that's what endure means, evil men. Any professing Christian in that fellowship was reproved. They will correct it that was to lead to repentance. And if it didn't, they did not fellowship with them. It's very simple. So what would they repent from? If anyone fell into gross sin, obvious sin, when we use that word, we're not talking about flaws and imperfections. We're talking about sin that is sin and unquestionable, adultery, fornication, lying, stealing, greed. There's no question about these things. They're obvious to anybody that has two eyes okay, and observes what's going on. So they were otherwise to lead these people back to holy, righteous living. So they would not allow these people, would not tolerate them if they were evil. They could not abide in their fellowship. They were put out. The word excommunicate simply means to separate from. They broke all contact in spiritual matters. It is a false Christ spirit that says, just love them. Oh, judge not. Let's just wink at it. The scripture doesn't say to do that. These are false shepherds who are cowards and are trying to please the masses instead of pleasing the Lord. See, if you please the masses, you'll make money and you'll be honored because it's worldly. As Jesus said, beware when men speak well of you, for they did so of the false prophets. The true prophets were always persecuted by the whole as the masses because they didn't like to be reproved and corrected. And that was the very reason they were dealt with. So what fellowship, as we say, does light and truth have with darkness? It's rhetorical, none. What fellowship does the Spirit of Christ have with the Spirit of the devil? None. So they're making these things clear and how they, and he commends them for this. He said, I know you put to the test those coming unto you and called themselves apostles. John had been taken away. He had been confined to the island. He was their chief elder and apostle at that time. And grievous wolves came in after he was taken away to spoil the flock. False prophets and teachers began or tried to corrupt the word of Christ and apostolic teaching. They came in claiming equal authority. They came in saying, well, we're going to change this and that and I'm as equal to them, and actually I'm probably superior. Sounds a little like popery, doesn't it? But he said, but you tested them. How? By sound teaching, by spiritually distinguishing what was going on. You used your knowledge and wisdom because you were grounded in the Word of God, and you had the Holy Spirit helping you to distinguish and discern the false spirit of them. Okay? And when you tested them, what did you do? You stopped them. You threw them out of the fellowship. You didn't let them poison the babe and the novice. See, So he commends them for this. Okay, They understood sound teaching. And he says, and you found them to be liars. Okay, They were false apostles, false prophets. Okay, As I've said many times, the Apostle John was the last of the twelve. He was the last apostolic witness to sound teaching and scripture. All else, 
that alters this or adds to it after him are false. See, we don't accept these isms. Doesn't matter what they are. There are no new revelations. The foundation has been laid by the apostles and prophets, and it must be built on. You can't build next to it. You cannot lay another wing or foundation, because if it cannot be tested by sound teaching, it's to be rejected. It's not to be accepted. So there are no apostles or prophets in the category of the foundation layers. Oh, there are apostolic ministries and prophetic. They deal more with the present situation of where the church and the Christian is, and they can give prophecy and insight and direction, but they cannot add scripture. See, they subject themselves to the spirit of prophecy, who is the spirit of Jesus. So see, they can't come along. So any group or denomination that has a special angel or a special person that supersedes the elders of the apostolic church, they are demonic. They're not from God. Popery, Mormonism, that's just a touch two of them. But many of them have taken on even the ones who once had some decent teaching of Christianity. They've mingled with the New Age. They've mingled and brought in other things. These are messengers of the devil, and they're to be tested. But it's sad to say the majority of churches and denominations are already under the devil's power. Most of them are not the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a rare thing in the time that we live in. Okay, the foundation has been laid. Either build on it or leave it alone. There is no new foundational teachings. The leader of Ephesus, the leaders, did well to prove and refute and expel the false messages. Even the Apostle Paul was still writing when he said something. He had not even completed scripture. And what does he have to say? He has some hard words. Galatians, chapter 1. Let's read 6 through 9. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you to the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are those who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Now he's going to say something and repeat it twice. He only does this about three times in all of Scripture. So he's emphasizing something very serious. Even if an angel from heaven, or we, he's speaking of himself as apostles, if we come back to you and we preach another gospel to you that what has been preached to you, let him be accursed. He includes himself in this. And then he says it again. As we have said before, now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, then what you have received, let him be accursed. There's some strong words there, isn't it? A different gospel, a perverted gospel, preaching another gospel. These are the terms he used. So he's saying, even me, if I come back and change my story and start to give you another gospel, I'm to be accursed. Okay? Allow him to be cursed. This so, they would know his mind. He repeats it again, very strong. Those who do such are to be left to their accursed state. They're already accursed, 
And the other hand, God curses them further who perverts the gospel of Christ. They're storing up wrath for the day of judgment. And one under such a state is doomed to destruction and will receive God's wrath and damnation. That's what it means to be accursed. Okay. I doubt whether many of these false ones, like the hypocritical Pharisees, can escape the damnation of hell. Again, I'm not talking about a misguided Christian, a novice, a baby. I'm talking about those who are settled in their heresies and perversions, and they go on year after year because they're under demonic influence, and God is shutting the door of grace to most of them. So that's the thing that's happening. There's always a consequence. They're not going to get their final judgments and all of their judgments till they drop dead. God is storing up wrath for the day of judgment. For some, he's doing this that they'll repent. But he's not forgetting every word they speak and every heresy they misrepresent his son and his gospel. That's not going to be forgotten, okay? So as Jesus told the Pharisees, how can you escape the damnation of hell? It was rhetorical. You cannot escape the damnation of hell when you lay aside God's word for your words, your traditions, and your rules. Many denominations do this. I've disputed some. And once you corner them, you know what they'll say? Well, my book of order says we have to do this. Then your book of order is from the devil because it's in conflict with sound teaching. That's how you leave these people. See, when people put their denomination, their country, their family beyond the sound word of God, they're heretics, they're false, and they're damned to hell for being cowards and for misrepresenting the Lord that they claim is their Lord, who actually is not, okay? So remember Jesus said, people don't like these words. They like the all-loving Jesus, don't they? He said, leave them alone. Who are the false teachers? The Pharisees that were distorting the word of God, and yet they were adulterous and greedy and covetous. They were the religious leaders. And he said, leave them alone. Because remember, Peter said, do you know you've offended him? And Jesus had to do, so what? Leave him alone. Leave him alone. Don't correct them. That's what leave him alone means. Don't instruct them. See, they've already been refuted and corrected. And all they did was turn and rend you and attack. They don't want to hear it. Leave them alone. Do not cast pearls before them. Do not give them the good things because they're pigs. All their interest is filth and slop. They're not interested in pearls and gems and lasting things. See, he's making it very plain. If the blind lead the blind, they both fall into the pit. And we know what the pit symbolizes. Leave them alone. Let them be accursed. That was Paul's thinking also. Isn't it interesting? He said, we want a heretic a couple of times. It didn't have nothing to do with them. See? Oh, no. It's a false teacher. And then so we got to hound them and talk them and convince them. And the last minute they're dying and gasping because they've got throat cancer from all of their smoking and drinking. Oh, you got to force Jesus down their throat because he's just waiting to save them. This is demonic. It misrepresents God and his word. That's why the world hates Jesus and the true word of God. Because it comes against their evil 
It does not excuse it or sanction it, and it doesn't love them unconditionally. Okay? So verse 3. So he's commending him, saying a similar thing here, and you have persevered, you have persevered and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. Okay? So again, he commends them for perseverance. Your endurance for the name of Jesus Christ to the Lord. See, John, uh, as the chief leader, was thrown into prison because he, representing the Christian church there, the apostolic leader, would not acknowledge the present emperor as being a god. And at that time, the present emperor was wicked, and he insisted on his rights. And all the religions in the Roman Empire, he didn't care and the Rome didn't care what they worshipped as long as you honored the emperor. But the apostles could not honor him or the Christians as being God or a God. So they couldn't do that. They could pray for him as a man, but they could not do this. Well, he didn't like it because he was so inspired of the devil. Okay, And so he took John away from him and thought it'd be easier for those who followed him to fall away. Obviously, they didn't. They endured. They said and thought the same as John did, that only the Lord Jesus Christ is the only one and true God. That's how they answered those persecutors. So he said, you did not become weary under affliction and persecution. So by taking John away, they were threatening the others, we'll do the same to you. We can bring troubles on you, so you better conform. Well, as a whole, they didn't conform. And they were persecuted and afflicted. Yet we will find with all of this good, their loyalty was missing something. And look at the accommodation he gave them. Many churches couldn't get that. As wicked men can be great parents. Wicked men can suffer and die for their families, for their country. There's been many who suffered horribly to stay loyal to their country. And they weren't Christians. Many of them personally were immoral fornicators. The most famous people in the world now that the world highly esteems, if you study most of their lives, they were immoral fornicators and adulterers. But see, the world likes to overlook that because look at all the good they did. That won't carry no weight with the Lord at Judgment Day. All fornicators and adulterers will go to hell. They'll not make it into the kingdom. Don't matter what other good they do. See, that goodness is not from the Spirit of Christ. It's the spirit of a humanitarian. It's a spirit propagating his own will and desires, and he glories in it. They're all looking for fame. All these ex-presidents want a reputation, a legacy. You ain't going to do them a bit of good in hell. But see, that's the world's pride of life. They want to be thought. And let me tell you a little secret. When all those people are in hell, they'll never give a second thought about their legacy. That's going to be the least of their interests. Their interests will be, how could I ever get out of this torment? And I figure out I'm not going to. I'm in a hopeless state. I don't think they're worried about then what the people thought of them. See, they should have worried about what God thought of them. Why do you fear man, Jesus said? The worst thing can do is kill you. Rather fear him who, after he's destroyed your body, can destroy your soul in hell. He said, he's the one you should show fear for. But then he immediately says to his disciples, but you fear not, for it's God's pleasure to give you the kingdom. 
but it's not God's pleasure to give it to the possessive wickedness, evil people who will not repent. He has another place prepared for them. The wicked have the lake of fire, which the scripture said is prepared for the devil and his angels, his followers. Okay. So we see they miss something though. Jesus has something to say. I appreciate your loyalty. I appreciate your outward loyalty and perseverance. But something's amiss here. And then he's going to tell them what he doesn't like. And some of them aren't going to like it. And they're going to be shocked because of all the good things they did. But that's how the Lord is. He will commend our good and our good intentions if we are striving to follow him as a true Christian. But he will not excuse what he doesn't like. And when he pinpoints something, he expects repentance, and he expects the person to correct that. And if that person does not, they will forfeit something. Remember, the scripture says, even what they have shall be taken from them. So Jesus is going to tell them in the next verse uh, what I don't like, and then he's in the verses to follow, and if it's not corrected, I'll remove my lampstand. It means everything else you've done will be canceled. See, I've tried to tell people, but see, people of the world don't get this. They think when they stand before God, he's going to weigh their good against their evil. So they do some good, and they do great humanitarian things. While they're living in adultery and fornication, and they take bribes, and it sounds like most of the politicians, it ain't going to work that way. See, they measure themselves by themselves and people. As I've said many times, they're looking around and saying, oh, I'm as good as these people. They haven't realized that those people they're looking at, most of them are going to hell. They measure themselves by the wrong people. We're going to be measured by Christ. And so when the Lord pinpoints something, you don't say, well, I don't think I want to deal with that. Well, you're going to be deceived. You're going to be a false Christian because he don't care about your other stuff anymore. See, he's interested in immediate obedience. That was the great thing about the man of faith, Abraham. Every time God spoke to him and told him to do something, he got up the next morning and started to do it. He never delayed. It was called instant obedience. Instant obedience is better than delayed rebellion and resistance. That's the stubborn and willful mind that Saul had, and it cost him his eternal soul. God wearied himself with him and cut him off and was not going to ever allow grace to him anymore. He turned him over and let a demon have him. But he was once the Lord's anointed. And even what he had was taken from him. Uh, let's stop here in verse 3 of chapter 2. Give us practical wisdom and application that the word of God can correct us, instruct us in righteousness, and cause us to understand practically what sound teaching is to do for us. In Jesus' name, amen.